Welcome to episode three of She Knows Now Radio, the monthly podcast dedicated to having big conversations with exceptional women across professional industries. Our mission is to produce confidence-affirming content and events for millennial women to empower her journey towards self-actualization. I'm your host, Tiffany Hardin. I'm a marketer, entrepreneur, and the founder of She Knows Now Radio. Remember, you can always reach out to us online at SheKnowsNow.com and on Twitter and Instagram by typing in SheKnowsNow. Don't forget to subscribe to our monthly newsletter to stay informed on our giveaways and our events. Today's guest is Camille Hackney. Not only is she one of my favorite people in the music business who has a Midwest sensibility, she is also the EVP of Brand Partnerships and Commercial Licensing at Atlantic Records, and she's also the head of the Global Brand Partnership Council at Warner Music Group. At Warner, she leads a global team of brand partnership and commercial licensing executives to source global deals for hundreds of artists signed to the various Warner Music Group labels and licenses around the globe. And at Atlantic Records, she's responsible for cultivating strategic partnerships for the company and Atlantic's diverse roster of top-notch artists with the goal of marrying musical talent with prominent brands to create impactful campaigns and promotions. In our conversation, we discuss her beginnings and what she's learned from her mentors, how her non-linear path from wanting to be a doctor to being in this industry has helped evolve her all the way around. And I think it's something that we all can relate to. So take notes and listen up. Okay, now we're live. So Camille, thank you so much for being here. We sure, really, thanks for me. We really appreciate it. And, you know, we just want to get the conversation rolling. So I'm going to turn it over to you, and I would love if you could share with our audience um, just a little bit about yourself and what you do and where you work and how you got there. Sure, sure. Uh, so I am at Atlantic Records and also have a dual role at Warner Music Group. And my official title, I have to pull out one of my cards because it's kind of long, um, is Executive Vice President of Brand Partnerships and Commercial Licensing. And then for Warner Music Group, um, I head up our Global Brand Partnerships Council, which is basically everyone who does my job around the globe. And, um, and and uh, running the, the council of people everyone who does uh, brand partnerships around the globe. And yeah, just how I got started, um, I've always had a love for music, a passion for music, as most folks in this business have. Um, my path was a bit circuitous in that um, I went to undergrad um, at Princeton, and there I was a um, economics uh, major with but also pre-med and thought I was going to be a doctor. Oh, wow. Um, and even got into a couple of different medical schools coming out of Princeton, but knew that that wasn't really where my passion lies. I was I loved math and I loved science, and um, I loved being a part of that world, but I just I didn't feel like I had the same drive and dedication as many of my other um, friends who were also pursuing the same route in, and I felt like I needed some time to really figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And I always remember someone came on campus uh, my senior year, and it was someone actually, um, Sandy Gallant, who was in entertainment and the film business. And uh, so I spent a little time, as many folks do, I was lured into the, the money and um, all the trappings of Wall Street. Um, a lot of those companies came on campus to recruit, promised big dollars, and nice, 
tiny Manhattan apartments and wardrobe allowances and stuff like that. So I kind of got sucked into that for a couple of years. And again, but um, his words really still stuck with me, like figuring out kind of what your passion was. And so I decided to take a little time off from the working world and go to business school. It's basically me hiding and taking the time to figure out really what my passion was. And I kept coming back to music and music entertainment um, and even advertising to a certain extent. I, I, I was fascinated by how music changed culture, how advertising changed culture um, and took cues from culture, but also formed it. And so when I was in business school, just met with anyone and everyone who would take my phone call who was in entertainment, who would um, graduate, I went to Harvard. Um, so leaned really heavily on the alumni at Harvard and people who were in entertainment. Um, and as it happened in entertainment, um, I knew someone who knew someone who knew uh, Sylvia Rohn. To this day, is still a mentor and friend and um, just someone who I highly respect in this business. Uh, and she gave me my first job in the music business. How, uh, how old were you when, when you had your first job in the music business? Well, I'm sorry, what was that? How old were you when you had your first job in the music business? I was in my early twenties. That is yeah, in my early twenties. Did you um, did you get your grad degree? You went straight from undergrad to grad. Um, I spent like a couple of years working um, on Wall Street, and then went to graduate school. Oh, okay. Business school for only two years, so yeah. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yeah, and it was it was a weird time in the business. It was a magical time in the business. It was when um, everyone was trading out their um, collections, with vinyl or cassette collections into CDs. funny too because I know um, we you more so but you know here hearing those stories right like <laughs> hearing people talk about budgets and hearing people talk about you know their expense accounts it almost felt like that was even Wall Street for a second because there was so much there was so much money in the business there was so much yeah. money in the business and uh, you know I know that it probably made for um, some challenging times too when <laughs> when that came crashing down a little bit, can you talk? Yeah. Can you talk about um, sort of what what was the most challenging thing related to your job when you were in your twenties? Because um, hearing that Sylvia Rohn gave you your first job in the music business um, and that you've had sort of a nonlinear path there is really interesting. I didn't know that, um, but I'm sure that there were some challenges that came along with that. Can you speak to that? Yeah, sure. I mean, it was. Um... I was able to, like, one of the reasons that Sylvia was um, attracted to my resume was because I had worked on Wall Street, because I had gone to business school, and the business at that time, because they were throwing off so much cash, um, all of the labels and other entertainment properties as well were looking at, you know, what other businesses should we go into, you know, to spend that cash, like, what acquisitions can we make, um, 
you know, who can we partner with, what strategic alliances can be made um, to really benefit from this war chest of cash that we're, we're sitting on. And so um, at that time, there were a lot of actually folks, uh, MBAs, who were being hired into um, music business to really kind of bring more of a business sense to it. Like, it was such a creative business, and um, because there was so much money in it, people really didn't have to stick to any sort of strict budgeting process. Um, you know, if you wanted to make a star, you found someone who could sing who was 17, 18, 19, you polished them up, found them with the best stylist and the best video directors, you know, cost me damn. And um, so it, 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 there, was a, there was a time and, and some of the really more savvy executives like Sylvia really realized, okay, we need some people with real business acumen coming into this business to help us, um, help us from ourselves. Yeah. Um, and, you know, she was, she was busy with running the, the day-to-day business and doing all of the artist findings and um, marketing and yeah, everything. Um, and so she, she was looking for um, support in that. And so that's, that was the opportunity that was created for me. And, and you know, again, it happened to make the right call and know the right people and, um, you know, show up with some expertise and um, business sense and that. I, I, I assume that's why um, she wound up hiring me and we just clicked personally but yeah no I mean it was a it was an interesting time because there was that sort of golden um, era in the 90s that then all came crashing down in the early 2000s with the advent of the internet and Napster and LimeWire and all the other file sharing um, services that just popped up literally overnight um, and as music went digital um, we, I think, you know, hit the biggest speed bump ever, um, and we're really on the front lines of it with regards to all types of um, entertainment properties and movies, films, like music got hit the hardest and worst, and we're sort of the canary in the coal mine for all the other um, forms of entertainment that were out there looking at what we were going through um, and how we managed through it. So, you know, I'm fortunate enough to have been in the business to see a bit of the heyday, to really see some the, the dark ages, um, and then to the now with the advent of streaming and all the various streaming services, um, hopefully we're moving back into, you know, a new golden era of, of music and music consumption. And really the benefit is all for the consumer, right? The consumer is really driving consumption. The consumer is able to... Um, connect with like minds uh, via social media, um, get recommendations on music, and then consume it, just pull it at their will. Yeah. I think we, and the music business, really were unkind to consumers back in the day when we were literally charging people $20 to buy that one song that they really liked. Um, and so the, 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 the balance has shifted more towards consumers, and that's a good thing. Uh, and it's the smart companies, which I feel like I work for, probably the smartest of the bunch, um, that really have been able to lean into um, the new consumption patterns of consumers um, and really thrive in the environment. I think that's really interesting. And, you know, I know you said um, quite a few things, but one of the things that I heard was um, when you were younger, I'm sure you didn't realize this at the time and everything's 2020 in hindsight, but the fact that you had a resume that was different from probably some of your peers that wanted to be in the music business, you know, 
was really like your ticket into the music business. And I think sometimes folks uh, who want to change industry or want to um, get into something different sort of feel a little discouraged, uh, I think, by not having the resume that speaks to that that job uh, in, in its totality. But, you know, that's something that you were able to use to your advantage. I wonder, you know, if you can take yourself back back to the times when you were, you know, figuring it all out, so to speak. Um, if you even if you even knew that was a competitive advantage um, or if you were sort of like, how did you know to talk to people? Like, how did you know to, to sort of network and find people in that space? Or is that something that, you know, Harvard and Princeton taught you? Well, it was really out of um, wanting to figure out, again, I go back to um, the, the speech I heard when talking about finding your passion. It, it really kind of all stems from that. And it was my exploration. It was my figuring out what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. I knew that I knew enough about myself that I knew that I was probably going to work for the rest of my life um, if I wanted to. And I, you know, sort of, both my back came from a double uh, parent working household. Um, and my mother set a really great example of, like, you know, if you, <laughs> you should have your own money. Um, like, if you want to go buy something, you shouldn't have to ask someone to go buy it. Like, so I, you know, came from that and always was a worker, even when I, you know, started at my first. You know, jobs when I was 13, so I knew that was a part of who I was, and uh, yeah, I mean, it really, the drive came from an exploration of myself and what I really felt like I wanted to do for the rest of my life, and you know, nothing was ever set in stone, and then, um, I'm, you know, I'm not the type of person who makes a, you know, 5, 10, 15 year plan, um, but I do constantly evaluate and reevaluate where I'm going, what I want to be doing, you know, am I having fun, am, you know, am I being challenged, so that exploration continues to go on, but, um, being in the same industry, have you, have you had to create some of your own challenges, like, have you, um, had to sort of set some, like, lofty goals and say, like, let's see if we can do it, like, how have you been able absolutely. to expand, uh, your own knowledge and your own, um, sort of aspirations within your industry? I mean, like, again, that's another thing that's, that's sort of a constant, like, I feel like I'm going through that right now with my department and how we operate and um, the, the exploration that I'm doing right now with my team is just um, around data and how we better use the data that comes into this building about our artists, about um, their fans, about the affinity for the fans. Um, for other products and services um, and how we use that data to help us pitch our artists for sort of better, more um, congress partnerships. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I, I've always worked for people, women actually, I've only worked for, well, it's not true, in my in finance days I worked for a woman and a man, um, but in the music business I really only worked for women. Um, Sylvia wrote first and now Julie Greenwald and, and Craig Kalman, mostly Julie. Um, and they, you know, they looked to me to kind of set the agenda, which has been really great. And I push myself, I push my team, um, and obviously get guidance and direction from um, the company leaders, but you know, really try 
you know, every day to make sure we're the best out there what we do. Um, and I think they appreciate that. And so um, they allow me to be the expert. And so that's been really super helpful. But for me, it gives me the autonomy to really kind of explore different ways of doing things. Um, and that's been great. So, you know, it's, been, it's allowed me to continue to challenge myself and challenge the team. Um, which, I, you know, sort of, again, yeah, that's sort of a constant evaluation process. Um, okay. What do you think about, um, do you have a mentor? What are your thoughts on mentorship? Um, Sylvia's certainly a mentor. Julie's certainly a mentor. Um, Greg, Lior, Cohen as well. I throw in the mentor again. I learned so much from him, working with him. Um, yeah, I mean, being a mentor, I think, comes in a lot of different forms. Um, I think, you know, for me, I've always, it's been easy, easier for me to figure out my path if I can look towards someone and say, you know what, I really want to do what they do, or I want to understand how they do what they do, um, and approaching it from that perspective versus, like, approaching someone saying, hey, will you be my mentor, will you tell me everything there is about you, and guide me, and, you know, show me a path, like, you know, like I said, mentorship, I think is, you, you meet that where you are and what you need in life, um, so, um, certainly, you know, any person who has attained any success will tell you the people who um, helped and influenced them. And I think, you know, that circle of people you can easily call mentors. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a, you know, let's sit down once a month or every six months and, you know, let me help guide you in your career. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's really important. You know, who influences you. Yeah, I think that's super important. And, and you know, in, in our world, of course, there's, Everybody talks about mentorship, and I, you know, I sort of break it down to different categories. Like, I feel like there are, there are you know, mentors or advocates. There are people that are, like, sort of more sponsors. Um, I've, I've been using the word teacher often, too. It's just like, I have a lot of teachers, you know. And like you said, it comes in so many different forms. And um, I can recall, and I would like to see if you can recall something. Um, you know, there was, uh, there is uh, one of my teachers who you know, was able to say something to me that truly just like flipped my lid and just in terms of like perspective, you know, um, I, I was asked an interview question, um, for, I don't know, some, something I was being interviewed for. And they, the question was, and I'm going to ask it to you, like, what is, um, what would your mentor say is, was one of the most important lessons for you to learn? And when I thought about that, I was like, first of all, that's an amazing question. Um, and when I thought about what my what my mentor, what my teacher would say, you know, I I remembered that, and I asked myself if I was doing that right. So my my uh, old mentor, he said that I needed to learn how to mold wet clay sometimes because my Virgo tendency and my type A plus plus makes me want to like see I see something very clearly, but. Uh, if it's not going the way I need it to go or exactly as my vision dictated, you know, I find it difficult to sort of mold that. And, um, you know, he basically was saying, get, be flexible. And I'm curious to know when you think about sort of the experience and the, um, conversations that you, you and your mentors and teachers have had, what would be something that sort of sticks out to your, in your mind as to an important lesson that you had to learn? That's a, that's a great question. Um, there, you know, there's, there's several things. 
things, I guess, that I've drawn from um, my different mentors. Um, uh, one important thing, particularly in that corporate environment, is the importance of how you treat people, um, the people who work for you and the people you work for, so the concept of managing up as well as managing down, um, and how important both facets are. Um, and so that's one. And two, just sort of how you treat people can easily come right back around. Um, that was never told to me, but I saw it in action and gleaned from um, mistakes that folks <laughs> who were my mentors made, um, and that, and particularly in this business. Um, and I, I consider myself having a, a foot in the music business as well as a foot in the sort of advertising and branding business. And you just never know where someone's going to wind up. And I've been fortunate, like I said, throughout my career, and um, just you know how I treat people, just with respect and even if someone is disrespectful, um, you know, how to move forward beyond that. Um, but people wind up, you know, someone who's a brand manager at a small brand, then winds up at a, as a CEO of another brand. Like, I've seen that countless times um, throughout my career. And, you know, just always, you know, just always making sure, like, you know, so how you treat people follows you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, hopefully the people who, um, you know, you've treated with the respect over the years will come back around and continue to work with you. And I've seen that happen in my career, so I'm sort of living proof of that. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, th- those are two um, more sort of overarching ones. I'd say probably one of the more direct um, learnings I learned from a mentor was just um, um, bad news never gets better with time. And so ah. if you... You know, particularly in my business, like if if you if a deal is going south, you know, best to tell all parties the deal is going south versus you know waiting and trying to uh, recover it, couch it, figure out it like rip the bandaid off and tell. So yeah, bad news never gets better with time. It's better just to deal with it um, as quickly as possible. I like that. Um, um, I used yeah, to call it like yeah. yell iceberg. Like, if we're about to hit, if we're about to, if the Titanic's about to go down, it's going to go down. So you might as well yell iceberg. <laughs> Dead ahead. Yeah, I might as well yell iceberg, right? Exactly. exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've, I've learned so much over the years. But, you know, those are just a, a, a few of the nuggets that, you know, keep, that, that I, I remember learning the, either the hard way or learning as I'm by mm. watching, by example. And just, you know, that sort of resonates in continues to come up, you know, every every other day, every other month, that kind of thing. So, Camille, what what do you think is your secret sauce, like in life? Like, what do you think is the thing that keeps you um, keeps you going, keeps you relevant, keeps you on top, keeps you happy and sane? Hmm. You know, I'm gonna have to go with um, sort of where and how I was raised. I've always felt like it was a big advantage to be um, to have been raised in the Midwest, um, and I, you know, I'm sure I will apologize profusely to my three children at some point to say I'm so sorry you're raised in Manhattan, like it's a rough, <laughs> rough concrete jungle. Um, but just for me, having that perspective of being from the Midwest and the things that I was exposed to um, and the foundation. I came from there. It's, you know, whenever I meet folks who are from the Midwest, 
who are in the business, we always connect. It's just a, we just have a different um, perspective on things. Um, and I think of, of even a broader perspective. Um, and I'm you know, fortunate enough also to have a global role to even see even more outside of um, sometimes the bubble that we live here, um, particularly in, in New York City. Um, and, I, and I live in New York, I live downtown um, and uh, work in New York. Raised my kids here, so it could easily um, be sort of insular. But like I said, having been raised in the Midwest and being able to travel outside the U.S. Um, gives me uh, just a broader view of things. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think that's kind of the the root of it. And um, having grown up there and always wanting to live in a big city like New York or London gave me just a a, a drive and a and a purpose. Yeah. Um, Where in the Midwest uh, are you from? Um, I grew up in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, yeah. and really in all over. I mean, that's where I spent my elementary school and high school years. Um, but before that, like, I was born in Troy, I lived in Lansing, East Lansing, I lived kind of all over. Michigan. I did not know that. Yeah. I, I, um, yeah. so uh, there was an, there's an old advertising agency called Donor that, um, uh-huh. One of my clients, I was working there for the past year, which is really funny. Um, and I've always loved people from Michigan. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I completely understand the Midwest piece. I um, I went to college in Chicago, but I, I moved from, my family moved from Texas to Wisconsin when I was in high school. And that was just shell shock for me. But um, I, And I never lived around black people. <laughs> but uh-huh. I... I completely understand what you're saying. It's kind of like, and you know, let me know what you think. It's kind of like that perspective is, look, what we're doing is important. We're not necessarily saving lives. So when you are feeling, you know, however you're feeling or anxious or whatever, please be clear. There's, there are big world problems, big world things that are happening right now. So you know, everybody's going to get fed today. Everybody's going to have shelter, you know, in this group. Like, let's just keep a little perspective here. Like, yeah. <laughs> let's be the, yeah. the adults in the room. Certainly, you know, it's, it's certainly that is a piece of it. Um, but to me, too, it's just, it's still, like, exciting. Like, again, a, a, a part of me is still, you know, the girl from the Midwest who really wants to make it big in the big city and that I am able to live that life every day. Um, it's still really exciting to me. Like, it's not old hat. Like, I'm not like, you know, I don't just brush it off. I don't take it for granted. Um, it's still really fun. So That's yeah. amazing. Do you think that, um, I, I think, you know, what is it? Uh, like, there's a Biggie Small song that's like, you know, you gotta, you gotta, you know, write, write your song like it's the first song. Like, you have to keep going as if it was your first time. And I think that's, that's the hustle. Um, this, the spirit of the hustler that, I think no matter how far you go in your career, you know, you are able to say like, this is, like you said, this is still exciting to me. And I think there's a lot of people in the world that are even starting their careers where they're, where they're trying to figure out what is exciting to them. Um, And they're going through that process right now and they have to be patient with themselves around that. And part of what we like to do with She Knows Now and, and why we're here is because we believe that, you know, you have to see it to be it. And that sort of promotes confidence and the confidence in your story. Um, but I'm curious to know about your work-life balance because when you are as passionate as you are and 
when things are as exciting as they are in the music business, you know, how do you have a work-life balance and, you know, how are you able to, um, how are you able to articulate what you need to your team and into your family as well for that? Um, yeah, I would say work-life balance. Um, it's, it's, I, I won't, I won't necessarily even call it balance. It's more like integration. Um, and, you know, I'm fortunate then to have an awesome husband and three great young kids and, um, that I live in the city, that I live downtown even, helps me um, integrate my personal life and my job in a way that um, works. So that I live um, downtown, um, I can come, you know, I come to work, I draw kids, and I come to work, and um, usually I have a show or dinner or something that usually happens downtown, so often I'm able to um, go home, um, take the kids, uh, put them to bed, and then go back out. Um, and certainly I couldn't do that, like if I lived in New Jersey or outside the city somewhere, it would be really tough. Um, so I was able to, you know, integrate my, integrate my personal life into my work life um, in that regard and, and sort of where I live and how I live. Um, unfortunately, that I'm senior enough that, like, my weekends aren't taken over by being at shoots and things like that. Like, sometimes they are, but it's not an every weekend thing. Um, I have a I have a great team around me that um, many of them also have families and we kind of cover for one another um, based on what our um, life is doing at that time. So, and been working with the, the same team for many many years, we all know each other really well. Um, so yeah, I mean it's it's not it doesn't just happen. You kind of have to make it happen and figure out what works for you. I know so many women who. Um, were forced into a position that it didn't work for their family and they had to seek other opportunities. I've been not going to wait fortunate um, to been able to, you know, as, you know, as I kept having kids, <laughs> fortunate enough to sort of figure out how I um, make it all work together. Um, but yeah, but it's a, it's a very, it's a very active process. Like it just, just happened. Um, and just you know, knowing that the the team of people who work with you and who you work for, um, just knowing what that landscape is and what how you can work it out. Um, but I think it's incumbent, frankly, on work, um, working mothers um, to ask for a little bit of flexibility. And it doesn't mean that you're not going to do your job at its highest level. It does not mean. You know, you have parent-teacher conference, you got to come in a little bit later, or you have to leave a little bit early because you want to make sure you go home and help your kid prepare for that test. But, you know, I have two devices for a reason. Like, I'm always on them when I'm not with my kids. I do try to be present with my kids when I'm home with them. Um, but, you know, any other time that I'm not with them, I'm literally working two devices, like, on the conference call on the iPhone and then shooting off an email and something else on a Blackberry. Like, it is, it is, <laughs> it is, it is breakneck. And so, Hustle. usually, like, when you see me on vacation, I am asleep. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I don't sleep much. Um, and that's what I like to do when I'm on vacation. Um, so, yeah, so it's, it's, it, is, it is a very active, everyday process to make sure that integration 
um, works for both aspects of my life. That's so important. I'm glad you. I'm glad you sort of uh, framed it in that way. Like, not necessarily just balance, but integration. And I'm a huge component of like being able to um, design your life. You know, um, one of the things that's really important to me is my time and how I how I choose to spend it. Right. So. Um, that's a part of, you know, me designing, designing my life. And I think that what you're saying, and especially learning from someone who's senior in their career, has a family, has responsibilities, lives in the city, you know, there's, there are things that you have to do, um, to, to design it in such a way that it makes it easier for you. Um, and with that comes certain, you know, sacrifices, right? So maybe you, have to pay more for a place in the city downtown but you know the cost opportunity of that is you get to move and shake the way you really need to (laughs) and Uh and you have um you easily can get home if you needed to get home i know there are so many um working families that i know where um they have to have these like sort of plans around who can get to their kids faster (laughs) based on you know where they work and where the school's at and you know all this stuff so it's it's all intentional um and it's all in how you design design your life yeah you mentioned oh go ahead no go ahead you mentioned um being able to ask for what you need and, and asking for the flexibility you know we just came off of uh, I think it was Equal Pay Day yesterday, and mm-hmm. I'm so curious about this. Uh, just taking us all the way back to uh, the start of your career and now, you know, the music business has not always been known for, you know, paying people, um, you know, the money that they probably should be outside of their industry. And I think that, you know, when you're young, bright, and green, <laughs> you know, you're you are more flexible with, uh, what you ask for because you just want to get in the door. But after that, <laughs> when you yeah. sort of like got a grip for what you need to do and you're also talking to your peers and other people outside your industry and you're they're doing marketing for another industry, you're doing marketing for the music business and you start to compare notes and you know, you realize maybe I should be getting paid more. Maybe, you know, I I deserve this. How how do you go about and what is your sort of perspective on being able to ask for more money and what lessons did you learn when you did do that over the course of your career? Um, I mean, it really also comes down to work product, right? So you, you can't make the case to ask for more money if you haven't put in the work to do so. Or, And it's also to being cognizant of what your position is, right? I've always been, been fortunate in um, having a position that has a revenue target or, you know, revenue attached to it. Um, so it's much easier to make a case for uh, more money if there's, you know, you can show dollars and growth of dollars over the years, um, or, you know, incoming dollars. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, it's, you, you have to make sure you have all your, you know, data points lined up and, again, and, and know your know your worth as it relates to the marketplace. Oftentimes in the music business, you know, the saying is like you have to you know, go out and get a job, another job, in order to have people really um, give you what your just do is at your current job. And that's often a tactic that is used in this business, I'm sure um, many other businesses as well. And if you're a valued player of the team and you, you know, say, look, I'm not, you know, 
pictures of my case, I've been fortunate most other job offers I've gotten, people have approached me. Um, but, you know, I always couch it with, look, this, you know, someone approached me and has this um, job with paying this. You know, I really want to stay here. I enjoy people I work with. You know, can you imagine? And um, I, I've been fortunate to be able to, to um, stay with the same company and essentially um, the, the same team, like, over a large tranche of the time. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it does come from a, a sense of you have to have a sense of accomplishment and know that your um, achievements and what you've done to the company is actually resonates with the company. You just can't go in there toe deaf and say, oh, I've, you know, worked here for 18 months and I deserve a raise. Well, no, nothing gives you raises because you work there. Like everybody, you know, comes in every day and works. Like you show what your value and show what your worth is. And, you know, be prepared to walk if you don't get what you need. That, that everyone should be prepared to do that. Yeah. It takes a certain level of confidence, right? So it's kind of like yeah. there's the – there's so many things. It's definitely strategy. Like you 100% should have a strategy when you're asking for more money. Because um, we don't live – we don't live in a culture where, where you know, it's a business, right? So we live in a culture where – you know, you already know you're getting, you know, what is it, 85 cents on the dollar or whatever the case may be. And if you're, you know, a person of color, maybe less than that. Um, and, you know, of course the work product has to has to be legit. And in, in so many instances, especially for the folks um, that listen to She Knows Now, they are in, you know, that, that transition period where they're going from, you know, manager to director or director to VP. And those are those really tough conversations because probably up until that point it's been something where you know someone potentially like said hey this is the next step for you let's do this and now you're in those conversations where you're sort of leading that uh leading those conversations it's i think where we've sort of exited the time where um you just sort of wait on it you know i feel like there was a there was a point where people like just wait for your due and you'll get it and then the time never comes and you're you know in the same position you were in several years ago and and that's just sort of not um that's not the strategy you know the strategy is definitely like like what you were saying figure out what it is that you offer and figure out what that's worth and yeah. then move and it might not be worth what you think it's worth totally and it might it might trigger a whole reevaluation of of you know what you're doing and how you can look to add more value so yeah i mean uh, a big part of it is being self-aware and knowing what, how other people feel about you and your work product. Do you have any opinions or perspective on this trend of girl boss and, um, you know, just what, what else do they say? Like hustler bay or whatever these catchy, these catchy words are. Um, personally, like, I, you know, being an entrepreneur is tough business, of course, but, um, it sort of feels like so many people, when they're not happy with their job or what have you, you know, they definitely start an, a new gig. But I feel like we've been glamorizing um, entrepreneurship. And I was just sort of curious, as someone who is a seasoned vet in their in their business, what you think about uh, just sort of what you've been seeing lately with people wanting to have not only their own business, but a personal brand to go along to go along with it. Because you have a personal brand, but you've been so low, like <laughs> you know, 
you're you're very low key when it comes to that. So I was curious what you thought about this. Uh, I mean, you mean with regards to promoting your own personal brand? Promoting your own personal brand and also the trend of, um, like, just girl boss and you know what what that what you've been able to see from that. Yeah, I mean, I I am I I I work on social media. Like, I don't push anything out really, like on Instagram <laughs> or Facebook, even for that matter. Like, it's just um, for for me, it's just it would be yet another thing I would have to keep up with. And like I said, I get my my news and trends from social media, but I just, I'm not active on it. Um, but I think it's, you know, it's you each know. Like, it's, just, it's not my, it's not my personality. And, um, like I said, it's like other, I have so little time that I would have to, something else would have to give in order for me to put time into that to do it right. Um, so, I, you know, I, I think um, building your personal brand, um, in any industry is important and um, for me my personal brand stems from um, the work that I do and the relationships I have with people and the, the deals that I do um, for other people in other industries you know it can a, a, a component of that can be what their um, social media footprint looks like and their profile and a number of followers for for some people that actually um, build sort of equity and leverage in their business um, and it does to a certain extent in mine too. I just, you know, again, it's not a, an aspect that I choose to really delve into. But, I, you know, I don't, I think it's, it's everyone has to make their own personal decision about um, how they build and amplify their brand. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's kind of to each his own. Yeah, I think it's really important to, I think it's really important to sort of know what, how your brand is perceived and how it's being presented. Um, I think the other piece of that, I feel like what doesn't sort of complement the girl boss sort of mantra, ideology or whatever, is uh, as much as I love it, it's very supposed to be like very empowering. I think it's very much something that, you know, there's another side to this coin, you know, which involves a lot of hard work, a lot of vulnerable conversations, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of things. and. You know, um, there has to be that like sort of careful balance. So I feel like we oftentimes glamorize entrepreneurship, um, and we don't necessarily have. And, and that's something in our culture that we we love. We love seeing a hustler make it, and you know, we love that. But like, what we don't necessarily show is all of the rejections or like how they dealt with those yeah. things. And you know, those are the the parts of the the puzzle that I um, I, I sort of try to remind some of my mentees too it's like yes you should be there you should be your own boss you should be your own boss even if you're working for somebody you're working for somebody else absolutely. yeah you know absolutely. <laughs> it's like but please yeah. please know that yeah. there there's in every in every scenario of work there's work <laughs> it's yeah, not yeah. it's not just about posting how how cute you are with your coffee at your right. desk like, <laughs> right Certainly. yeah it's yeah it is, it is, i mean it is taking control of your own narrative and hopefully that narrative includes hard work, great work product, great reputation, good relationships, you know, it can't just be all of the, you know, look at me, here I am. There's got to be some substance underneath. A hundred percent. So here's my last question for you and, um, why well, two, two more, but one of them is, um, 
how do you stay on top and relevant for as long as you've been on top and relevant? What's the secret to career longevity in the music business? Um, hmm, ah, that's a good one. Um, I, I think it goes back to network and reputation and um, the, the, the team you build around you, um, how you talk to people, um, and, you know, for, for me, a big part of it, it was, you know, just making sure I stay on top of what's happening. Um, uh, still, but, you know, really voracious reader, um, uh, about the business, about who's in the business, what's happening. Um, always trying to, even if I'm, uh, not, I don't need to be in a meeting about someone, I'll, you know, come to the meeting about kind of what's going on. Like we have a, a streaming meeting every week. Um, just talking about our releases and how we're marketing our releases. You know, I'm not responsible for getting our music played on playlists, but I sure as hell need to know like how it all happens and what what does. So I interlope in on that meeting and just sit quiet and listen. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's uh, you know, just staying on top of everything that's going on. Also, fortunate like um, when I started in the business, it sort of evolved into. Um, digital marketing, digital media, so I've always had that um, uh, foundation and continue to work and collaborate with um, the now head of digital here. Um, and again, just making sure that everything that I'm doing, um, we're relevant, like I talked about the, the data project that we're undergoing here, and just, you know, the new tools that are available to us that we're on top of it and using them using the new tools to better serve the business we do. So, yeah, I mean, I, to me, that's just, you know, how one does their job, you know, not being complacent and constantly pushing forward. So, um, I guess that's part of it. I kind of, <laughs> you know, fortunate working for, uh, working with really great people. Um, so, you know, that is, that's not in my control that, that you know, the, the team builds around. Um, me, but yeah, no, it's been fun. And like I said, I'm like I'm still having fun. Like I still really enjoy it. I think that's <laughs> great. You know, honestly, Camille, like I, even since like from when we met, like I've always been so like, I've always been so impressed by you because you have that. I, I didn't know it came from the Midwest, but now I do. You know, you've always had this sort of. Um, energy that felt very much like I'm about the work and I'm about, you know, having a good time doing it. And I never felt what happens in the music business a lot, a lot is, you know, I never felt an ego come from you and I never felt like that drove you. I felt like, you know, one of the things I would say even too is being able to, to be honest and vulnerable with yourself, with your team and, um, being able to, like you said, evolve with the, evolve with the time, evolve with, the shift in the industry because we live in a very if you if you're in the culture industry that moves at top speed so being able to like shift and shuck and jive along with that is is so phenomenal and to have to, to listen to your story and, and hear such a a non-linear path is really inspiring and i know it's inspiring to a lot of our listeners too because um so often even in our small networks, uh, of even our families, we're sort of told, you know, there's sort of a direction and a an a path, and you know, to hear someone as successful as you are, um, say, well, this is what I did, and it's not that. It, it's just an inspiring story to hear, and I'm really happy that you were able to share it with us. Thank you. 
Awesome. Well, thanks for thinking of me, and um, I have enjoyed our conversation for sure. All right. Talk to you soon. Okay.